You're listening to the Odyssey Out Loud. I'm Anna Katerina. Episode 16 The Palace of Alkinos. So, there in the grove of Athena, much enduring divine Odysseus prayed while the strength of the mules carried the girl towards town. When she came to the famous house of her father, she stood in the doorway, and her brothers, like immortals, came to stand around her. They freed the mules from under the wagon, and took the clothing inside. Nausicaa went to her own room, and her chambermaid, Yuromedusa, an old woman from Aparaios, lit a fire for her. Smooth-turning ships had brought her once upon a time from her homeland, They'd picked her as a prize for Alkinous because he ruled over all the Phaeakes, and the region listened to him like a god. She'd raised white-armed Nausicaa in the palace, and now she kindled a fire for her and made her dinner inside. It was then that Odysseus got up to go to the city, and Athena, with his good in mind, poured a great deal of mist around him, in case, if any of the great-hearted Phaeakes met him, they might mock him and ask him who he was. But when he was about to enter the lovely city, then the goddess bright-eyed Athena came up to him, appearing as a girl, a maiden holding a pitcher. She stood before him, and divine Odysseus asked her, Child, won't you take me to the house of Alkinous, the man who rules over these people? I've come here from far away, a stranger from a distant land who suffered a great deal, and I don't know any of the other people who hold this city and country. The goddess, bright-eyed Athena, said back to him, Then I'll show you the house you asked me about, father stranger. Since Alkinous lives right by my irreproachable father. But you'll have to be completely quiet as you go. I'll lead the way. Don't look at anyone. Don't question anyone. They can't stand strangers, and they don't welcome people who might have come from somewhere else. Relying on their swift, speedy ships, they travel across the great gulf of the sea, since that's their gift from the Earthshaker. Their ships are quick, like feathers or thought. So saying, Pallas Athena led the way quickly, and he walked in the footprints of the god. The Phaeakis, famous for their ships, didn't notice him going between them through town. Athena, dread goddess with the lovely hair, didn't allow it. With his good in mind, she poured a supernatural mist around him. Odysseus was amazed by the harbors and the balanced ships, the agoras of the heroes themselves and the long high walls, joined by palisades, marvelous to look at. But when he came to the house of the famous king, then the goddess bright-eyed Athena was the first of them to speak. Here it is, father stranger, the house you asked me to show you. You'll find kings raised by Zeus inside, dining at a feast. Go in. Don't be at all afraid. A fearless man turns out to be better in everything he does, even if he came from somewhere else. First, you'll find the lady of the house in the great hall. She's called Arete. She's of the same ancestors who fathered the king, Alkinous. Earthshaker Poseidon fathered Nausithous first, with Periboia, best-looking of women, the youngest daughter of great-hearted Eurymedon, who once ruled over the high-spirited giants. 
that he destroyed his reckless people and himself. Poseidon lay with Eurymedon's daughter, and she bore a son, great-hearted Nasithous, who ruled over the Phaeacus. Nasithous fathered Rexenor and Alcinous. Apollo of the Silver Bow struck Rexenor down in his hall, just married, and without a male heir, leaving behind only one child, Arete. Alcinous made her his wife, and valued her as no other woman on earth is valued, no matter how many women now keep house under their husbands. That's the way that woman has been exceptionally honored, and still is, in the hearts of her dear children, by Alcinous himself, and by the people, who see her as a goddess, and greet her with speeches when she walks through town. She herself in no way lacks good sense. She untangles feuds, even between men, if she's inclined towards them. If she likes you, then there's hope for you to see your dear ones, and to come to your high-roofed house and to your fatherland. So saying, bright-eyed Athena went off over the barren sea and left delightful Scaria. She went to Marathon, and Athens' city of broad streets, and went into the solid house of Erechtheus. Then Odysseus went towards Alcinous' famous house. Before he reached the bronze threshold he stood, turning everything over in his mind. There was a radiance, like the sun or the moon, throughout the high-roofed house of great-hearted Alcinous. For bronze walls had been set up here and there, from the door to the inmost corner, with a cobalt cornice wrapping around. Silver doorposts stood in the bronze threshold, a silver lintel above. Sturdy, golden doors closed the house in with golden door handles. On each side there were dogs made of gold and silver, which Hephaestus created with his skillful genius to guard the house of great-hearted Alcinous. They were immortal and ageless for all their days. Inside, there were chairs pushed against the wall, here and there, straight through from the door to the inmost corner. Fine, well-woven cloths were thrown on them, women's work. There, the leaders of the Phaeacus were seated, eating and drinking. They had an inexhaustible plenty. Golden statues of boys were placed on solid platforms, holding burning torches in their hands, illuminating the night throughout the house for the guests. He had fifty slave-women throughout the house, some who grind apple-yellow corn on the mill, some who weave webs and spin wool, sitting like the leaves of a tall poplar tree, fine olive oil dripping from the tightly woven fabric. Just as the Phaeacus are skilled above and beyond other men in driving their swift ships on the sea, so the women are skilled at the loom. Athena gave them more than others noble minds and the expertise to make gorgeous works. Outside the courtyard, near the doors, there's a great orchard, four furlongs big. Or, if you like, pick a sizable measurement of your own and multiply it by four, you may be just as right. A wall had been driven around it on both sides. Tall trees grew there and flourished, pear trees and pomegranates and apple trees producing fine fruit sweet fig trees and flourishing olive trees. Their fruit never dies or runs out, not in winter, not in summer, year-round, but Zephyrus the west wind blows without pause, making some grow and ripening others. Pear ripens on pear, apple on apple, then bunches of grapes on grapes and fig upon fig. There Alcinous' fruitful vineyard has taken root, in one spot, a sunlit level place, the grapes are dried by the sun. 
In another, they gather some and tread on others. The unripe grapes are in the front, shedding blossoms, others turning dark. Beside the lowest row of vines, an orderly garden grows all kinds of things, perpetually verdant. There are two fountains. One spreads through the whole garden, and, on the opposite side, one flows under the threshold of the courtyard towards the lofty house, and the citizens draw water from it. These were the splendid gifts of the gods in the home of Alcinous. Standing there, much enduring divine Odysseus gazed. Then, after he'd looked to his heart's content, he quickly crossed the threshold and went into the house. He found the leaders and commanders of the Fayeques pouring libations from their cups to keen-eyed Argefontes, the untranslatable, swift-appearing, serpent-slaying Argus killer, to whom they poured the last when their minds turned to bed. Much enduring, divine Odysseus went through the house, surrounded by the thick mist which Athena poured over him, till he came to Arete and the king Alcinous. Odysseus threw his hands around Arete's knees, and right then the god made the divine mist pour back from him. Seeing the man, they fell silent. Throughout the house, they were amazed at the sight of him. Then Odysseus made his appeal. Arete, daughter of god Vangrexenor, I've suffered many things. I come to your knees, and to your husband, and to these guests. May the gods give them prosperity as long as they live, and may each pass the possessions in his hall and whatever privilege the region has given him onto his children. Dispatch an escort for me, so I can reach my fatherland quickly since I've been away from my loved ones for a long time, and I'm suffering. So saying, he sat himself down in the ashes of the hearth beside the fire. All fell utterly silent. Finally, an old man, the hero Exeneus, spoke. He was the oldest man of the Fayeques, and exceptional with words, knowing about the past and a great many things. He addressed them with good intentions and said, Elkinous. It isn't good or proper for a stranger to sit on the ground by the hearth in the dust. Everyone here is waiting, eager for your orders. But come, have the stranger stand up and sit on a silver ornamented chair, and tell the heralds to mix wine with water, so we can pour a libation to Zeus, who delights in thunder, and travels alongside revered suppliants. And have the housekeeper give the stranger dinner from what's inside. Suppliant is not the right word. I don't like beggar, either, but that's closer. Not petitioner, not applicant. None of those add up right. They're all a little too much. Here's the word. Hikates. Here's where it comes from. Hiko. And what does that word mean? Well, it means showing up. To come, to reach, to arrive. I'm here. I've come to you. That's all that makes a hikates. Forget about the position inherent in suppliant. To forget about someone at a disadvantage looking up and saying, help, pare it down till it just means this. Someone who's shown up. That's sacred. That's enough. That's all that I mean when I say suppliant. And that's what the old man is talking about. And Alcinous heard him. The old man's words spoke to the sacred power he held. 
He took, calculating warlike-wise Odysseus by the hand, he pulled him up from the hearth and sat him on a shining chair, making his son, Curtius Laudamus, stand. He sat closest to Alcinous, and he loved him the most. A maid, carrying water in a fine golden pitcher, poured it over a silver basin for him to wash with, and pulled a polished table up next to him. A distinguished housekeeper brought bread and put it before him and placed many other foods with it, generous to him with what was on hand. Then much-enduring divine Odysseus ate and drank, and then Alcinous spoke with authority to the herald. Pontanoas, mix wine in a bowl and deal it out to everyone in the hall, so we can pour a libation to Zeus, who delights in thunder and travels alongside revered suppliants. That's what he said. And Pontanoas mixed the honey-hearted wine and dealt it out to everyone, putting a little in each cup for the offering. Once they'd poured the libation and drunk as much as their hearts desired, then Alcinous addressed them and spoke. Listen, you leaders and counselors of the Phaeacus, as I say what's in my heart. Now that we've feasted, go home and lie down. At dawn, we'll call on more elders, and receive the stranger in our hall. And we'll make fine offerings to the gods. Then we'll turn our minds to his escort, so... Without hardship and without grief, the stranger may quickly and happily reach his fatherland with our escort, even if it's very far away. And in the meantime, he shouldn't suffer any evil and sorrow before he sets foot on his land. Once there, he'll suffer whatever fate in those grave spinners the clothes spun with thread at his birth. But if he's one of the immortals come down from heaven, then this is something unusual the gods are putting together. In the past, the gods have always tangibly appeared to us when we make worthy hecatombs, and they feast next to us, sitting right here where we are. If some lone traveler meets one on his way, they don't hide at all, since we are close to them, just like the Cyclops and even the savage tribes of the giants. Inventive Odysseus answered and said to him, Alcinous, worry about something else. I'm not like the immortals who hold wide heaven, not in form, not in stature, but like mortal men. Whoever you know that bears the most grief, I'd match their pain. And I could still recount more bad things, which, from first to last, I suffered by the will of the gods. I may not be at ease, but let me eat. There's nothing more dog-like than the hated stomach. It demands to be remembered. It's a necessity, even if you're worn out, heart full of grief, just like mine. It constantly tells me to eat and drink and makes me forget everything I've suffered, demanding to be filled full. When dawn appears, rouse yourselves, so you can quickly set this wretched man down in his fatherland, even though I've suffered a great deal. Once I see my belongings, my slaves and my great high-roofed house, then I can die. That's what he said. And they all agreed and gave the order to escort the stranger, since he'd spoken appropriately. Then, once they'd poured a libation and drunk as much as their hearts desired, they each went home to bed. But divine Odysseus remained in the hall, and Arete sat beside him, along with godlike Alcinous, while the maids cleared away the dinner things.
You've been listening to the Odyssey Out Loud. I'm Anna Katerina. You can learn more and listen to new episodes at theodysseyoutloud.com. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash odysseyoutloud. Thank you for listening.